Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This podcast may contain, but is not limited to, strong language, sexual content, violence, and death. This podcast may not be suitable for listeners under 18. Hi, I'm Christina. And I'm Crystal. Welcome Welcome to Crime Crime Night. Tonight's episode is about the I-70 murders. In the spring of 1992, an Interstate 70, which we will be calling I-70, that ran from Indianapolis, Indiana, down to Wichita, Kansas. There was a serial killer on the loose, and he had murdered six victims within 29 days. So that's quite a bit. Yeah, it is. And then there was actually speculations that there was a separate string of murders along the Interstate Highway of I-35 in Texas that they believe was possibly connected to the I-70 murders. So this string of murders that happened on the I-35 actually took place between 1993 and 94. Um, so there was it a couple- after. Yeah, it was after. So there was a couple murders that actually happened in 93 and then one of them was like an attempt at murder that happened in 94. So the first victim was Robin Foldauer and she was born December 16, 1965 in Indianapolis, Indiana, and she was the youngest of three girls. She was the salutatorian of Lawrence Central High School, and in 1988, she graduated from Indiana University. So on April 8th of 1992, 26-year-old Robin was working alone at a Payless shoe source in Indianapolis. The store was less than a quarter mile where I-46 intersected with I-70 and Robin was not originally actually supposed to work that day. However, her co-worker called in sick so she had to go into work as she was one of the managers I believe. And since there weren't many employees, it wasn't uncommon for Robin or any of the other employees to be working alone in the store it seems like we have that problem now in this day and age that there's not that many workers to be filling positions in stores so a lot of times people have to work by themselves yeah and this is a small like store that this was that wasn't like a big huge store or anything so that's just common i think at any point in time yeah for small stores nowadays or then it's always been Mm -hmm. more of an issue to have employees because smaller stores you know, don't always have the resources that larger stores do. Yes, that's true. So a man that was working across the street from the Payless store was named Jeff Mayrose, and he actually saw a strange man in the area around this time, and the man was wearing a green jacket and carrying a large bag. And Jeff kind of just assumed he was like a hitchhiker because he looked like he had been sleeping in his clothes and he came from, you know, the direction of where the highway was. And this was the 90s, it was 1992. And hitchhiking was a lot more common than it is today. So it was a normal way for people to get places was to hitchhike. So it wasn't uncommon to see somebody hitchhiking yeah you would see people standing on the side of the road back then and they'd hold up these signs and it said you know like california or bust you know kind of a thing so yeah i remember seeing a lot of people hitchhiking on the highways on the off ramps on ramps whatever you want to call them so you'd mm-hmm. see just a ton of people hitchhiking back in the back in the 90s and late 80s even and jeff actually kind of found this man very strange and suspicious because he was 
hanging out in the area for a while and he even was sitting on a curb for like a half hour yeah so that kind of seems a little weird yeah and while he was sitting on the curb jeff had seen him digging through his bag and just like talking to himself so he kind of just figured that either you know there he had you know some mental health issues or some drug issues maybe he was going over his plan that's true but he just kind of jeff just thought he was odd just the way he was acting and how long he was hanging out in the area and the man eventually ended up disappearing at some point and then jeff did actually see him again uh hitching a ride uh, sometime after two o'clock yeah well if the, if the guy got busy doing something else took his eyes off him for a few minutes yeah. he could have got went Customers anywhere I mean, it's, or, yeah, yeah. So he could, the guy could have went anywhere at that yeah, point. He could have left, but then at, shortly after two, he did see him again, and he was hitchhiking, and so he left at that point. So then he gave up on even Paying worrying attention. about him. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the owner of the Payless, you know, had been calling during this time, had been calling to try and get a hold of Robin. If she didn't pick up right away, you know, she might have been dealing with the customer, but eventually she would have picked up or at least called back at some point. And, you know, it had been a while and the owner was still unable to, you know, get a hold of her after having called her multiple times, which was odd. Yeah, especially at a store. Well, then, like, she's by herself, though. I mean, when you're at a store, you're by yourself. Of course, you're going to have to take care of the customer first. You don't know who's calling. Could have been somebody calling from even another store looking for some order or just a random wrong number. Mm-hmm. Or apparently her boss. Yes, but he had called multiple times looking and nobody had picked up, which that was odd. Mm -hmm. Like, there's not this many customers. Like Red flag on that one there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the owner started to get worried. So they called the Speedway gas station, which was right next to the shoe store, and had somebody from the gas station go check on Robin because she wasn't answering her phone just to make sure she was okay and everything yeah, so it was must, fine. If I wonder if it must have been a good period of time then if the, if the manager of the store now has become very concerned. Yeah, so it seems like I would imagine it was at least an hour or so that yeah. they couldn't get a okay, hold so of her. Okay, so definitely would be of some sort of concern, yes. Mm-hmm. And so when the Speedway employee walked over to Payless, they actually noticed that the register was open and they didn't see like Robin or anybody else in this store. So this was obviously strange, mm-hmm. it was unusual. They, uh, they didn't go in, it doesn't seem like. Um, they didn't specify that, but the police were called and the police, it seems like, were the ones that found Robin's body. So I'm assuming after they saw the register open, yeah. they were like, no, I'm not going in there. This looks like it could yep. be dangerous. Yep. Even if they got in in a certain distance and seen that register, it, you're not going to be looking for a body laying on the floor or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You're going to see the register and you're like, oh shit, something's going down here. Yeah. I'm getting out. Yeah, and you don't know if the person in that... I'm assuming they thought it was a robbery at that point. Yes. That, you know, you don't know if they're in there still, if they have a gun, they're dangerous, like what they're going to do. So it's best to leave. Yep. Get the hell out, out of there. there. Mm-hmm. So shortly before three o'clock, Robin's body was found in the back room and she had been shot with a 22 caliber uh, gun. And unfortunately, the store didn't have any alarms or cameras or anything like that didn't have a lot of security measures which 
They didn't back then, exactly. really. Exactly. So this was the, the 90s, so they didn't have the same security measures that we have. It was a lot more expensive to have a camera. And even if you did pay a lot of money, the footage was usually not yeah, the very well. The, the, the technology of it wasn't was, yeah. up to par and like it is The quality was shitty back then, yes. Mm -hmm. Now, I will tell you this. This is going back a very long way. So when I was a kid growing up, I do remember that some of the businesses in the area, they would hire like security dogs and after the stores were closed at night, the company would come and deliver the dogs. And then they would go in the morning and pick the dogs back up before the employees came in. So I just remember that being mm -hmm. at some of the facilities that probably dealt with more on a high-end product and more money, more money mm -hmm. cash flow through the facility or business. Um, so I just kind of remember that as a kid and I always thought that that was strange and also kind of cool at the same time. So after they you know, started investigating, they looked to see when the last purchase was made and it was around 1.12 p.m. And after investigating, they believed that she was actually killed shortly after that sale. So yeah, she would have been dead before the manager was calling. calling. So there yep. would have been a large gap between then and then when they the police didn't get there till just before three, so. Yeah, and I know that the transaction that was done at 1.12 p.m. was a male shoe and female shoe. So it was probably a couple maybe that came in or somebody mm -hmm. that came in and bought for themselves and their significant other or, a, or two children, male, female, child kind mm -hmm. of thing. But it wasn't like a single shoe that was like yeah. single man shoe or anything like yeah. that. And I don't think anybody that's going to be committing a crime is going to go in and buy anything. Well, sometimes they'll. Yeah, they Criminals do, aren't always the brightest. This is very true. Um, so there was also no sign of a struggle. So she doesn't. So I'm assuming that she probably didn't really fight back um, from the other evidence from the other robberies. He probably, you know, told her to get in the back room, and she saw the gun and just complied because it was it probably safer. Happened so fast too. Yes, and then she probably. Well, she also probably didn't think that they were going to kill her. She probably assumed like, oh, they're here. They're just going to take the money and then leave, like yeah. most robbers would. And that was they not weren't. the case. Yes. And so um, there wasn't a sign of a struggle, and only less than $100 was taken from the register. And police actually initially had believed that Robin's death was the result of robbery gone wrong before they were able to connect it to the other murders. Right, right. And um, I had read on there, and I don't know how true this is or not, but I read in some of the information that there was people that were going into the store and seeing no worker there. So they were taking the merchandise so from then, the store. So then the police probably don't know if the, the criminal or the murderer took anything or if it's just other people that were stealing shoes. Right. Which in between. I could see people saying, hey, free shoes. Let's take them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Some people. Just... But, but wouldn't you have thought that they would have had to have seen the person? No, because they were all on the shelves at the Payless. They were all yeah, so, on the floor. With and all she the was shelves. found in That's the back right. room. So she wouldn't have They would have never known. Yeah. Now, next up, there was actually two victims. One was Patricia Lynn, which they, she went by Trish, and her last name was Majors. Um, she was 32 years old, and she was born on June 18th of 1959 in Wichita, Kansas. Now, the other victim was Patricia Ann Smith, and she was 23, 
and she was born September 15, 1968 in Wichita, Kansas as well. Now the two Patricias were actually working side by side at the La Bride de Elegance, which was a bridal shop that was located at 4613 East Kellogg in Wichita, Kansas. Now, Patricia Majors, along with her husband, Mark, were actually the owners of the bridal shop. And they had literally just purchased it like the year earlier. So they didn't have the bridal shop for very long. No. So it was a newer business. Very new establishment. Now, the bridal shop was actually located shortly off of I-35 and I-70. So it was kind of at a major intersection mm -hmm. hub-ish kind like of area. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So now Patricia Smith was a part-time worker at the bridal shop and she was actually going to school in uh, Wichita at Wichita State University and she was actually studying nursing and she wanted to become like a pedi pediatric nurse of some sort. Um, so she had her, it seems like she had her life planned out. I know yes. she wanted to get mm -hmm. married and have kids and all that too. Mm -hmm. So she was just in the beginning of her, her life. So she was just kind of starting her adult life. Yep. Mm -hmm. So now three days after the first incident on the evening of April 11th, 1992, um, after a customer had called and said that they needed a cummerbund for their tuxedo for the weekend, they were nice enough to stay open. Normally the store closed at 6 p.m., but they agreed with this customer, we understand you're having this problem kind of a thing. Yes, we will stay open for you and make sure you get a cummerbund so everything will be perfect for the weekend. And they, they did, they waited. They waited for somebody to come. And at around 6.30, when somebody came to the door, they initially thought it was the customer that they were letting in because they didn't know what he looked like. Yeah, and you would assume, you know, if somebody comes up to your store after closing that, you know, it's the person you spoke to earlier that knows you're going to be there. Nobody else is going to assume that somebody's there. But it wasn't. It was the killer. So both of the women were taken at gunpoint in the back of the store. So kind of like in the storeroom area. And they were each shot in the back of the head. So he must have had them get down, lined them up, and just yeah. shot one and then the other. <laughs> so shortly after the women were taken in the back room and shot, the actual customer that, that they was were waiting the on yes, mm -hmm. actually came. And he went into the store. He had no idea what was going on. And at this point, the killer actually was still in the back, came out, and he encountered the customer. So they actually encountered each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And at that point, the killer kind of told him, get in the back. And the guy's like, what's going on, you know? Yeah, and I think that he was able to see that the killer had a gun on yes. him. Yep, he was able to see they had a gun. He was actually able to actually get away from this guy. So the killer's trying to get him in the back room, and he's headed satating and moving back little by little. Got to the door, turned around, and ran. Yeah, so, so he was lucky that he was able to get out of that situation and he didn't get, like, shot in the front area there. Right, right, because that could have went any which way at that point. Yeah, that could have went very wrong at that point. Mm -hmm. So as the customer was actually running out the door, he, he was telling the guy, you know, he don't, I don't want, I don't want to be involved in this. I didn't see nothing. I don't know anything, you know, kind of a thing. Kind so. of like, I swear I won't tell. Please yep. don't come after me. <laughs> right, which... I think anybody in that particular situation would, would have been the same thing. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. We're like, I swear I won't tell, just let me go. Yep, but he got he got away. He turned around, he, he got the hell out of there. 
So at approximately 7.30 that night, so this was a whole hour in between from when he was at the store and the girls were killed to when he actually he actually called the police at this point and reported the incident. And I think it, like he had talked about, um, or one of the articles had talked about that he waited so long because he was kind of like afraid. Mm-hmm. Which he was probably in shock. Like, did this just happen? Am I crazy? Like, yeah. do I need to call police? Like, what do I do? He was probably yeah. panicking. Yeah, he had to he had to sort through with all the initial. Oh God, what just happened? What did I see? What should mm-hmm. I do? If I do this, is, is this going to happen? Does he know who mm-hmm. I am? Did I leave anything there with my name on it? Is he going to follow me? Did he see my car? I mean, there was probably a million things that were going through his head yes. at this point. And then when he finally calmed down, he, you know, and his head was clear, then he was like, okay, maybe I should call the police yeah. now. Yeah, he rationalized with himself. And when the police arrived, they actually found that the front door was open, which, I mean, you have the customer running out and i'm sure the murder ran out after him yeah <laughs> nobody and I was think worried he about open and left the door open at other ones too so and when i'm sure after you've killed somebody you probably get the hell out of there to close the door i don't know i've never killed anyone so i probably don't want to touch anything anymore at this point because you're gonna leave fingerprints so he probably was at least smart enough to know don't touch it so he actually took a small amount of money from the register and some other of their personal belongings i don't know what exactly what maybe he took stuff out of their purses something like that but i know it was specifically personal belonging now patricia majors which was the store owner she died instantly and patricia smith the employee actually died a few hours later so she survived a little bit i know that she was probably at a point where there was no questioning they could have done on her so they Mm -hmm. wouldn't have been able to get any information from her and just because she was alive doesn't mean she wasn't like brain dead or something she was shot in the head so i don't know how functional she was at that point i'm gathering none probably not and Mm -hmm. she just probably Mm -hmm. held on for longer so now this out of the cases that we we have here this is the only case that they had multiple yes so i'm thinking that there was the i'm thinking that the murderer initially thought that there was only one person at the store mm-hmm. and when they got there there was two so yeah. at this point he had to kill both of them you can't you can't leave one go yeah yeah because then you have an eyewitness but he had an eyewitness there anyways so right right well he wasn't planning on that and if you see he was trying to convince the guy to come into the store and he would have killed him too so he'd have been dead so there had been three victims at that point at that store Mm -hmm. now eventually the customer who came in to pick up the cumberbund actually was able to give some information regarding the gentleman that was there killing the girls so when he was described as a white slender male around five foot seven to five foot nine ish 150 pounds ish and he had dull reddish hair and he had stubble on his face the authorities actually compared bullets that were found at this crime scene with the bullets from the other crime scene and they were actually a match now this point that led them to believe that they had a serial killer on their hand mm-hmm. yeah you now you have two incidences that were similar and bullets match mm-hmm. that's definitely you know you have a, a killer on the loose at that point yes now i know that the husband of the one um the one lady actually showed up at the store while the cops were there and he kind of witnessed the aftermath of everything so 
And from what it seems, even after 30 years since this happened, he seems to still be dealing with the the repercussions of it. He Mm -hmm. still seems... Like a broken heart, almost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he still is very much affected by what happened Mm -hmm. to this day. Yeah, and I know Mark actually did reopen the bridal shop shortly after the murders, but he sold it within a few months, which I don't blame him. I mean, that was probably too hard on him to continue on with the business. And it was something that she was probably passionate about, not him. And it's not the same. No, not at all. Mm -mm. So the next victim was Michael Milo McCowan, who was also went by Mick. And he was actually the only male victim he was born December 29th of 1951 in Terry Hot, Indiana, and he was a bass player and also worked at his mother's store, Sylvia's Ceramics, which was located in Terry Hot near I-70. And on April 27th of 1992, 40-year-old Michael had a doctor's appointment and actually initially considered not going into work that day. Um, But he ended up deciding to go in and open the store anyways, despite having his appointment. Very regretfully so, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure, yes. And he was, you know, the only one in the store. He was alone and stocking shelves. And the I-70 killer came in and shot him from behind. So he was not only the only male, but he was the only one not to be taken into a back room. So he's the only one that was shot out in the open. And it wasn't until 4.15 p.m. that a customer found his body. Although his wallet was stolen, he had cash that was still in one of his pockets and the store register was actually untouched. So So this must have been a quick, a quick um, murder kind of a thing. Let me kill this person, get the Mm -hmm. hell out of here, take what I can and go kind of a thing. Yes, yeah. Well, he was likely there for the killing and not the money. The money was just like a, might as well grab it while I'm here. That's what it seems like with the other ones too, that the money was an afterthought, but he grabbed it anyways, probably to help him to get to the next place or something. Mm -hmm. And it was actually believed that Michael was mistaken for a woman Um, Due to his long hair, however, it's also likely that he was targeted because the store name, Sylvia Ceramics, made it seem like a woman would be the one working there. Mm -hmm. Um, And if he surveyed the the buildings beforehand, he may have seen a woman there and thought that Yeah, yeah. had seen a woman previously and thought that there was like only women that worked there or something because that's all he's seen. Yes. Um, And... That, which is probably, I would guess, why Michael was shot where he was shot and not taken to a back room because he realized, oh, oh shit, this, this is, is a man. man. And hurry up and just killed, killed him, him and mm-hmm. got out of there because it wasn't, it was kind of like a plan, his murder plan went wrong that day. Yes. Yeah, he seemed to have a specific type of person he was looking for. Yeah, in a specific way he went about it. Yeah. And this one was very different. <laughs> and I think it's because he realized Oh shit, wrong person. Things went a little different. Mm-hmm. And once again for this one, no witnesses, um, no video. So authorities really had nothing to go on this one. Kind of like the well actually this one was probably the one that had the least amount mm-hmm. of evidence. 
Yeah. It was the quickest in and out kind yeah. of thing. And I think that's probably why there was the least amount of evidence, evidence. Mm-hmm. left behind because it was so quick. The next victim up was Nancy Christine Kitzmiller, and she was 24 years old. She was born in September on the 25th of 1967 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Now, she lived there until she was 10, and then they had moved. Nancy loved soccer. She liked line dancing and Western gear, country music, as well as being a horsewoman. And her friends were all like cowboys and cowgirls. So she was kind of like your typical Western cowgirl kind of person, it seemed Mm -hmm. like. Um, She did frequent rodeos and horse shows. She didn't use any drugs. And she's never been in trouble. So she seemed like a very clean-cut, good all-around yeah, person. straight lace girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she very, very rarely drank, despite of hanging out at all these different cowboy bars, but she probably just went there because of their friends. She had probably friends there and the music and all that stuff, so she probably had other objectives than just to be there to drink. And she was a recent graduate of Oklahoma State University with a degree in geography, which is a very hard... It's an interesting degree. I, I don't think I've ever met somebody who had no degree in geography I don't think a lot of people have that no it's a harder degree I think to to get there's a lot to it there's a lot more to it than people think now Nancy had just qualified to join a defense map agency in St. Louis which is now known as National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and she was just awaiting her assignment so she already had been accepted to it was just waiting to actually go there to work so she had a, a nice life set up for herself very nice very nice because she was working you know basically for the government seemed like so she was going to be set up so in the meantime she was working as a manager at the boot valley no working as a manager at boot village which was kind of like a western footwear store and it was in the bogey hills shopping plaza in saint charles missouri which is just right outside of saint louis missouri so, in this store was actually just yards from I-70. So, this was right off the highway. Yeah, so I think this one was the closest yes. to the highway. From mm-hmm. what it seems, it seems like this was the definitely the closest. So, on May 3rd, although Nancy was actually supposed to be off that day, she agreed to go into work for one of her co-workers. Which, that seems to be a running theme. A lot of the people that got killed weren't supposed to be at work that yeah. day and either were covering for someone or decided to go in or... All of them so far. If you notice, first one wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah, the, so the other two were supposed to have left. The uh, guy was supposed wasn't supposed to be a guy. It was supposed to be the woman, most likely. And, and then now he just he was thought about not going, and yeah. then she also wasn't supposed to be there. So that's kind of just interesting, I think. Yeah. So we are at what one, two, three, four, five, five, five. five. Wow, the coincidence on that one. So actually, Nancy went in and opened the store at noon, and which was kind of conveniently weird, I thought, was Nancy was working alone at the store, and the stores on both sides of the boot village were actually closed that day. So that was, I thought, was kind of very bizarre that they, they were conveniently closed that day. It's like everything happened. just like kind of fell into place for yeah, this to happen. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if this is something that happened frequently there, or if there were scheduled days that they were closed, maybe. It could have been that those stores just weren't open on that day. Yeah, that's what my thought was, but it it was just kind of weird, I thought. So at 2.30 that afternoon, a customer found Nancy's body in the back office, and she had been shot in the back of the head. 
So between noon and 2.30, she had been murdered. Now, some of the money from the cash register was actually missing as well. So once again, this person's taking money. They're not taking a lot of money. It seems no. like they're only taking a little bit. And they're not, like, really trying to get all the money. It's like they're just taking enough to get them to the next that's, that's, uh, yeah. next place kind of thing. Yeah, that's what that's, that's what's got me yeah. is... Yeah, like enough they to must survive have, off the next few days. So and, he must have had this planned out, like, where he was stopping. Like, an area. Not necessarily the physical <laughs> store, but an area of where he was trying to get to next. Or that's, he just happened to you know i ran out of money yeah so that's this true. is the next town i'm in <laughs> yeah now although no one had heard the shots the witness did see her with the last customer so nobody heard anything because once again the two stores on each side of her that would have probably heard it so close. anybody that would have been close enough wasn't there that day. right right but somebody actually did witness her with her last customer so and they described this person to be of medium height dull red hair again and this seems to be the pattern. So this um, is probably the murder that yes. they've seen. Yes. And not a customer. And this just was just minutes before her death. So it was so close that... It was likely to exactly. kill Exactly. Now the suspected killer had actually fled the scene once the authorities got to the store. So he was already gone. Yeah. Which it seems like he leaves like right afterwards every time. Yeah, he's quick. He's always gone right away. He's quick. So he... The police actually had the witness help them compose another drawing. So, in from the way it seems, this was the same description as the last one. Yes, so all the eyewitnesses have similar mm -hmm. description. So, Sarah Lynn Hart Blessing was the last victim for the I-70 murders. And she had two siblings, a brother and a sister. She was also married with two stepsons. She was an herbalist and reflexologist. And she also had a communications degree from Emporia State College. And on May 7th of 1992, she was working alone in a boutique called The Store of Many Colors in Raytown, Missouri. And the boutique like the other places were not far from i-70 and i actually believe it was like her and her friend's store so there's mm -hmm. like a group of them who um, own that store and around 6 15 p.m the owner of the video store that was next door kind of noticed a strange man in the parking lot and he was wearing a sports coat slacks and dress shoes Although the video store owner, whose name was Tim, thought it was weird that the man was wearing a jacket when it was warmer that day. Yeah, that, so, would, that would have a red flag for me too. Yeah, yeah. so he was wearing a jacket and the weather was warm enough that nobody needed a jacket. Well, unless he had the jacket on earlier and didn't want to carry it. That would be well, the most people thing. would tie it around their waist. Yeah, though, that'd be so. the only reason why I think if it was warm and he's got a jacket on, that would be the only thing mm -hmm. I could think of. But Tim became more suspicious when the man who had been walking around the area actually stopped in front of his store and looked directly at him. So that, that's kind of creepy. Yeah, I'd have been creeped out. Yeah, that for sure. I'd be like, um, I really pay attention to who that was. So around 6.30 p.m., Tim actually heard a gunshot come from Sarah's store. And at this point, he's like, okay, something's going on. And he grabbed a portable phone, not a cell phone. It's different no. in the 90s. Yes. Um, it was like a big, chunky, cordless phone that had an antenna on it. So you had this big 
phone in that rested on a charger. You could take it off the charger and use it to the battery died out on it. But it had like an antenna that you had to pull And I would up. imagine, if I recall correctly, like you wouldn't be able to go too far no, from not at the all. station be, like no. to where its cradle was because you had to be within a certain radius. Yeah, and that was radius. That was So, you know, taking it to the next you know, next door, he'd be able to use it, but he wouldn't. It's not a cell phone. It's no, different. Not at all. Yeah. It's pre cell phone era. And as uh, Tim was exiting the video store, he actually saw the man leave, the, the strange man that he had seen earlier that was staring at him, <laughs> leaving Sarah's store. So he kind of, it seems like he was, you know, cautiously went in there, was calling out for, you know, anyone in there saying, ma'am, ma'am, and he didn't get an answer. I think at that point he he knew he probably what had kind happened. of figured what had mm -hmm. happened if you know he heard the gunshot and then the creepy man that was staring at him left, mm -hmm. so he probably knew what he was looking for, yeah. but he just wanted to you know make sure. But he eventually reached the back room where he found Sarah lying on the floor with a gunshot wound, and he immediately called the police and. Um, ballistics tested actually confirm that all six victims were killed with the same weapon. So they were all tied together. So the police are still looking for our suspect and he's of course still at large. Um, he is a white male between the height of 5'5 five, five to 6 foot tall but most likely 5'7 to 5'9. He is a slender to medium build weighing anywhere between 140 to 180 pounds. Um, at that time, he was in his late 20s, early 30s, so now that would have him being at probably late 50s, early 60s. He had short, tinted, reddish or sandy-colored hair, like a strawberry blonde almost. Um, he had like a bearded stubble on his face, thin lips, a high forehead, and the witness described him as having like a lazy or a droopy kind of eyelid. So, like, one eye that was yeah. noticeably different. Like a droopy dog eye, yes. According to each of the witness, he was actually kind of clean cut, neatly dressed, and he appeared to be in some sort of a trance, or he had something else on his mind. He was, like, elsewhere. He wasn't focused on the moment. I'm sure he was focused on what he's about to do. He's probably worked himself up for yes. this yep. moment. Mm-hmm. And he seemed to be comfortable within the Indianapolis area and possibly lived close to the I-70 corridor. Or probably or worked around there yeah. or was there often at mm -hmm. least. Mm -hmm. So, and it seems that he may have been like a collector of like antique or unique type of firearm. Um, the weird thing is that all shootings occurred sometime within the afternoon. I think six six thirty was like the latest, and so, so it so like into the early evening, noon into the evening, into the early evening mm -hmm. hours. Um, and then this suggested that maybe he chose like specific types of victims based on possibly somebody that may have wronged him in the past, or like a relative or a former girlfriend or somebody he knew. Somebody familiarized who, with who angered him and that mm -hmm. he feels he needs to get revenge on mm -hmm. which you see that happened a lot yes although the killer actually took very little amount of money from each of the victim the robbery was not his prime motive so that was kind of like an afterthought kind of his secondary motive yes and that were target were generally not the type of stores that had 
a lot of money on hand or high foot traffic or anything like that. They seem to be like in a strip mall that just kind of blended in. Yeah, just like smaller stores that typically had like a lack of staff mm -hmm. or like um, like local owners, you know, local smaller, business, yeah. like just like small places that like wouldn't have a lot of cash, and... but also wouldn't have a lot of security either. Mm -hmm. Which would make it easy for him to yeah, easier target in and out kind of a thing. Yeah. Yep. So in in all except for one case, the victims' purses were never touched. So the only ones that they seemed to have gone through were the two that were in the um, bridal shop where he took some of their personal belongings. So I'm gathering he must have took them out of their purses from what it seemed. None of the victims were sexually assaulted, and Michael was the only victim that was not taken to the back room so everybody else Which was taken to the back room was but, likely yeah. because he was a man and he didn't realize it until mm -hmm. it was too late and just he had a, he was committed he had to go for it mm -hmm. so and all of the stores were close to the interstates and some of them were just blocks from like where the off-ramp was so very convenient for easy in and out kind of a yeah, thing easy access to get in and then dip out without mm -hmm. you know and you know once you get on a highway you you can go anywhere yeah. mm -hmm. yep he primarily target young petite brunette women that worked alone in small stores that again were located probably like in a strip mall setting um anywhere along the i-70 to i-35 corridor area and the FBI agents created a psychological profile of the killer and it is believed that in the prior months of the murder, he had fantasized about killing. So he planned these out. This, this yes. was already premeditated. He yes. had yeah. Which you could tell and, by, the, you know, like mm -hmm. he was clearly going about this for the kill, not for anything else. Right. But I'm wondering, has he killed before this? Because these seemed so well planned out like in and out and done so did he kill others beforehand as their his test and we'll never know that um and they had described this as being an organized cold-blooded psychopath so once again he was it seems like he planned this very well yes and he was classified as a thrill killer yes so somebody who killed for the thrill of it and, you know. No Which is the worst kind, reason. I think. Yeah, because, you know, they're there for the kill. They're not there for a robbery or anything else. So if you try and they're like, well, you have whatever you want. They don't want anything except right. to they kill you. Right, they want to kill you. Mm -hmm. That's all they're there for. Yes. So he actually savored the sense of being a superior to the victim because he was able to end their life. So this was like a, a power, power trip for trip. him. Mm -hmm. Yep. And he also enjoyed eluding the authorities. So he probably thought he's untouchable. Which, I mean, he hasn't been he's, caught to this day, so right. I guess 30 he's plus doing... years later, yeah. Now, the police believe that the killer was either like a traveling salesman or a hitchhiker or a truck driver based on the ability for him to travel from these crime scenes very quickly. Yeah, and it's always harder to catch somebody who tends to be more mobile because they're 
you know, they're all over the place. You you don't yeah. know where they're at. They don't have like a stationary yeah. spot. Like usually like with a killer who's kill like stays in their home and like goes and kills people in the area, like you could usually get like a radius of about where the killer would probably live. But with something like this Yeah, if he's like a hitchhiker or a truck on driver, and off the highway and they yeah. could come from anywhere. Yeah, they they may not if a hitchhiker truck drivers, a lot of them don't have like a home base. They they're just kinda you know, like vagrants well, and, and go from town. Because can, you can live in your truck. And if you're a hitchhiker, you can pitch a tent. I mean, there's well, a, a lot, lot of things. truck drivers have, like, their home, but they spend a lot of their time, like, months at mm -hmm. a time, like, on the road. Like, yeah. they'll, they're not always at home very frequently. Mm -hmm. So, and he may have had connections in the military, um, as several of the murders that took place near military bases. So and I thought that I was interesting. I think that just from... Like reading the articles and stuff, I'm leaning towards the fact that it's probably somebody with a military background. It just kind of seems like everything, mm -hmm. you know, fits into place. Yeah, and they believe that if it is somebody that was from within the military, that he may have been suffering from PTSD from some something that had happened during mm -hmm. his military time. I know in the early in the early 90s, um, there was some action that took place over in the Saudi Arabia area, so he could have been involved in that. Mm -hmm. You just, you never know. I mean, within that time frame, that's the thing that I could think of that happened relatively yeah. close to those years. Mm -hmm. So one person that was considered to possibly be the I-70 killer was a suspected serial killer, Herb Baumeister from Westfield, Indiana. He physically resembled the I-70 killer. And in July of 1996, several sets of skeletal remains were actually discovered on his estate. Ooh. The bones had belonged to 11 men, eight of whom had been identified. All the men were believed to have been picked up in gay bars during the early 1990s. And Herb actually fled to Canada after the remains were discovered and committed suicide easy out for him mm -hmm. he's also suspected of dumping several victims along i-70 which is probably mm -hmm. why they're connecting him to the i-70 killings however he was never questioned as you know his victims were men yeah, the killers were say. women so the police felt that he probably wasn't the perpetrator right so they never bothered to question him on it Another suspect that they considered was Donald Waterhouse, and this was because of on February 29th, just a month before the murders began, he actually shot and killed his mother and his stepfather in Dyersburg, Tennessee home. Now, Donald actually vanished in his truck, and later it was found abandoned on I-70 in East St. Louis, Illinois. Now that's I think where they believe the tie-in with him was because of the I-70 where the truck was abandoned at. Yeah. So in mm -hmm. October, which is a few months after the murders stopped, he was actually arrested in Oklahoma. Like the other I-70 victims, they were actually shot in the head with a 22 caliber weapon. So could this have been the person or could this have been a copycat? I don't know. Or just by chance it just, just happened to be. They happen to kill him in a similar manner. Yes. Which that's a common man execution style is quite common mm -hmm. it seems like it's the easiest way to get it done and over with you don't have to see your victims faces either so 
Now, being at large during the I-70 murder spree, he actually fit the physical description of the killer, but he was later ruled out as a suspect, and I don't know why it didn't tell us why he was ruled out, but they did eventually rule him out yeah. as a suspect. They probably found something that, you know, didn't fit, and yeah. they probably found something that was able to rule him out. So, during the investigation, authorities actually searched hotel registrations from, like, all the hotels along I-70, as well as looking at toll booths, license plates, traffic stops for signs of the killer. Um, however, they didn't find anything. They also used eyewitness descriptions to create police composite drawing of the killer and they even compiled all their information into a large database however the killer still remains unsolved police do stress that serial killers never stop and they're known to take breaks but they will eventually start killing again uh, so it's likely that the i-70 killer is responsible for other murders either prior to or after that so and it's likely that he could be uh that i-35 killer. killer or there could be multiple yeah. you know highway killings throughout the country that he could be you know involved in yeah and responsible for mm -hmm. so and it's also possible that the killings had stopped after the killer was imprisoned for a different crime or had died which you see a lot with serial killers who haven't been caught you'll see that they would get caught for a crime, they'd go into jail, and they'd come back out, and then go back to killing again. In 2012, authorities announced that they believed they identified the gun that was used, and they believe it was a semi-automatic Irma Verka ET-22. The gun is a replica of an old German war pistol that was historically used by the German Navy. The barrel for this gun is also two to three times longer than most handguns, so it would be harder to seal. So as this particular gun is actually not very common, police believe that it could provide a major break in the case. The, the weird thing about this gun, because I did some little bit of research on it, it had a spot on the top of the gun or whatever to like put your hand to try to control it. So it must have been like a lot of kick. Yeah, or something. Which is odd for a 22. Yeah, but. so it must have been. Or I'm probably thinking because the barrel of it was so long mm -hmm. that that was going to cause a bigger kickback. Yeah. And it was a replica of an older gun, so they didn't have the same technology right. that guns do today. And that's also another reason why I think it, you know, I'm leaning towards it. Military. Probably military because uh, somebody who, you know, could easily get a hold of weapons from other countries are military personnel who are, you know, in different countries. Mm -hmm. And if they're, you know, there, they could buy the gun there and bring it back. And right. from my experience, it seems like a lot of soldiers will bring back weaponry with them from they the do. countries yes. they've been in. So... In November of 2021, a uniform task force was actually launched, which brought investigators from Kansas, Indiana, and Missouri together. Um, and each department, I believe it was, uh, sent like DNA evidence out to be tested, although nothing's 
been said of what has come back from that if anything has found so either they didn't find anything or they did and they're kind of keeping it quiet for now i think that's what they're doing i think it's the latter of the two i think whatever they're getting back they're keeping it kind of hush hush for now till they collect all the information from all the different places because i know it's a lot of evidence that they were re going through i mean they were going back through pretty much everything so that's that was a lot it's a lot to go through yeah it's not uncommon for police to keep things you know within the yes. investigation before announcing it to the public especially if it's something that could confirm a killer so they don't want to give out too much information so that people could claim that they're the killer because that happens a oh, lot yes <laughs> so a lot of people do feel that the i-70 killer is already dead at this point or possibly behind bars um, however, there's still hope that the killer can be caught so the families could at least, you know, get some closure and maybe even possibly stop more murders from occurring. So anybody with information about these murders is urged to contact the St. Charles Police Department at 1-800-800-3510 and there is also a $25,000 reward. You can always contact Crime Stoppers too, but they'll yes. direct you to who to contact and stuff like that. If, if you're on stuff, just contact Crime Stopper, get you in contact with the right person. Yeah, and we'll have all that in uh, the description of the episode. So if you do have information, it'll be there. Even if you think it's the smallest, little, slightest thing, just reach out and do it because that could be what they're looking for. Thank you for listening to Crime Night. We release new episodes every other Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central. You can find a link to our sources in the episode description. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube under Crime Night Podcast. Good, Good night! night.